Hello, and welcome to the Geeks at the Gates. Here we are again, it's a brand new year. The flashbacks are over, and it's time to move on. So, we have some new geeks for you this week. Me and Hat are joined by Tina and Simon. And, I should say, we were supposed to also be joined by Tina's identical twin sister, Lynn, who is a school librarian and, rather crucially, was the school librarian of the school where I used to teach. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues. Again, seriously, really? Come on. And uh, Lynn wasn't able to join us. The, the whole internet connection magic thing just wouldn't work. No, I don't know what the technical problem was. It just wouldn't work. Uh, so Lynn graciously bowed out and uh, it left us with me, Hat, Tina and Simon. Uh, it is possibly useful to know that Tina and Simon are married. I don't know whether that comes up actually in the whole thing. But there you are. Um, so we got together to talk about something important. Terry Pratchett. Now, Lynn and Tina and Simon have been on the podcast before, although before the Harrogate radio days, to talk about Terry Pratchett. We talk about Terry Pratchett at some length in this show, and there is still a lot more to be said, because it's a big subject, folks. Terry was amazing, and his work was deep, and you're going to hear more about it. You absolutely are. What the plan was, was that we were each going to bring one single book to champion and explain and talk about. Just one work of Terry Pratchett's that had had an impact on our lives, our, our way of looking at things, our psyche or whatever. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. It was really hard. I have said this before, and I stand by it. In large part, the person that I grew up into from my late teens to now in my, you know, dotage, um, that's the person that I am is largely down to what I learned through Terry Pratchett. I think I, I think I say it in the pod, in the, the recording. Um, I I went to Terry Pratchett for the laughs as a teenager. I was told it was funny, and it is. But there was a point, not not that far into my reading of it, that I suddenly realised that I wasn't there for the laughs anymore. I was there for the politics, and I was there for the philosophy. And, yeah, you know, you can learn a lot by reading Terry Pratchett. You really can. So, that's what we're doing this week. Hold on to your hats. Here we go. Right, so, Terry Pratchett. I think it's fair to say that, for all of us, uh, his work has been an influence on us in some way. I think we'd all describe ourselves as fans. Yep. Yeah. Great. I was going to say, I'm going to take that long oh, silence as a yes. Um, <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so I, I'm, 
I'm not sure what everybody's route into Pratchett was. So I'm going to tell you what mine was because I'm the one that's talking. And then you can tell me how you got here. Gosh, this is sounding really great. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing, me and Pratchett. I was introduced to Terry Pratchett when I was in the sixth form by a friend who described reading Terry Pratchett as an activity that you needed to undertake whilst lying down in the dark, because if you didn't, you'd hurt yourself laughing. And <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't convinced, if I'm honest. And then somebody gave me or lent me a copy of The Colour of Magic, and I thought it was rubbish. I I really couldn't get into it at all. I thought it was disjointed and strange and didn't make a particular amount of sense. And I thought, I don't know what all this nonsense about Terry Pratchett is. I'm not at all bothered. And the story could have ended there, dear listener, but it didn't. Because (laughs) somebody else... for for this podcast. Well, it would, have, it would have been a much shorter podcast, to be fair. Um, somebody <laughs> else. Uh, and Simon Cooper, if you're listening, cheers. Uh, he's not listening. <laughs> somebody else gave me a copy of Mort. And oh, well, if you're going to start yeah. again. It absolutely yeah. blew me away. It was. I thought it was hilarious, but I also thought it was profound. Because I was 17 years old, and I was easily impressed by philosophy. At the time. Um, <laughs> but something in the, in the humanity of it grabbed me. And so from there, I read Equal Rights and fell in love with Granny, Granny Weather, Weatherwax. And so then I went back yeah. and read. Yeah. Then I went, well, actually, no, then me and my mum and dad went on holiday for a week to the Lake District where my sister was a student. She was at Charlotte Mason College in Ambleside. And my mum and dad were staying at the caravan site and I was staying in the youth hostel and I didn't have a lot to do during the day. And so I went to Fred Holdsworth Bookshop in Ambleside, which, and he's not paying me to say this, but I heartily recommend if you find yourself in, in Ambleside, go to Fred's. And there was a copy of The Colour of, of Magic. So I bought it and I spent the day in whatever the park in Ambleside is called sitting on the bench, eating chips and reading The Colour of Magic. And I saw what I'd missed the first time round. So the next day, yeah. I went back to Fred's and I bought The Light Fantastic, which is the second book in the series. And that was that. And then at that point, I'm afraid I'd run out of books because there were there were only four Discworld novels at the time, which meant the next one. Wow. Month, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I remember I, that. Yeah, I'm fantastically old. Thank you, everybody. And uh, sorry, result, you're older. Shut up. As a result, of I'm that, really young for once. Sorry. <laughs> as a result, of I'm that, never young. I'm always old. As a result, of that the Not next here. time I went to Fred's, I couldn't buy another Discord book, so I bought Strata. Ah, oh, stunning. And then I bought The Dark Side of the Sun, which is where and, I started. And then the week was up, and I'd run out of cherry practice. <laughs> But from that point, initially, because I was a poor student, I bought every book the second it came out in paperback. And once I'd got a bit more money, 
I bought every book the second it came out in hardback. And yeah. it was a real important thing. And there was a point, at some point in the mid to late 90s, I realised I'd stopped reading Terry Pratchett because it was funny. And I kept reading it for the politics. Yes. And yeah. the wisdom. In the, uh, in the mid to late 90s, I was in my GCSE years. So I was right, reading it for the funny at that point. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Interrupted her. <laughs> no, no. In the mid to late 90s, I, like I said, I, I was still in school. I remember... When Masquerade came out, um, I was still in school. So, yeah, I was still reading it for the funnies, really. At that point. That's fair. It is something that grows with you. You're mm, right. Yeah, there. definitely. The rereading value, I think, because, like, I've read them all again yes, and again and again and again. And, yeah. again. and, I've, and obviously, as old, I got older and recognised the politics, and, yeah, absolutely. And you grab the references that he's put in there, sprinkled throughout from all sorts of different histories and yeah, cultures definitely. and beliefs. and yeah. You always say, oh, God, yes. That happens a lot. It does. Did you want another, in how we introduced ourselves to it yet, Reggie? Well, she why says, not, Why not? Out. Simon. Um, well, <clears throat> when I was young, younger, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my dad's friend, they got him one year for his birthday, Dark Side of the Sun, and he would not shut up about it. So <clears throat> I eventually got around to reading it about five years later, and <laughs> I was stuck until Strata came out, and then along came the disc. And as soon as I read um, the the scene with Rincewind riding away from the burning out Moorport and getting caught by the two thieves. And I recognised Fafard and the Grey Mouser. I was hooked. I couldn't put them down. I was like Reggie, getting them as soon as they come out in paperback and years later as they hit the hardback. I have never looked back. <laughs> I've always been hooked. So, yeah. And I bet you didn't record any of that because that's a very short line. <laughs> <laughs> no, got it all, Simon. Got it all. I think he can turn you up. I think he can turn you up. Also, um. You've actually reread pretty much the entire series, haven't you? I have. I've read every book at least three times. It's even once during this whole. Yeah, yeah, and of course this year I've I've done, I've done the witches and I've done the watch, and I've done Susan again, and that's the, that's mm. one of the joys of of the series is, is you can pick out your favorite favorite characters and read their stories, or just do it all in one go well the standalone ones as well standalone yeah yeah. i think there's there's never a point where you can't just step in yeah 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 but i think too really true what what really makes the discworld series stand out for me and yeah i mean and there's more to fairy practice than the discworld but what makes the discworld stand out is that it ran for so long, and you get oh, to don't follow. say it in the past tense. <sighs> Sadly, it is though. Oh, it's 
still hurts. Oh, yeah. yeah, it does. It does. It does. I bet none of us could actually read Shepherd's Crown when we got it. I still I haven't. I still got it. I, I have. Still I, read it. I didn't read Shepherd's Crown until halfway through the first lockdown. Um, I started uh, when Terry died. I started from the very beginning and worked my way through every book. And I did it really, really slowly because until I'd read The Shepherd's Crown, I was still living in the world where there was unread Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Yeah. And I put it off for a long time. Then we got to lockdown and my reading accelerated. And in the end, I just got there. And you just kind of have to bite the bullet, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Someday, um, I think I'm going to have to. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, that it's really good. I know, yeah, I know it will be, but then there yeah, will be Yeah, we're not no going to give any spoilers away at all it's... because there are still people who won't have read it. Yeah. Mm. Um, although, for the benefit of the listeners, um, there will be spoilers for the books we're talking about. Uh, yeah, yes. of course. <laughs> yeah. That can't um, be helped, but if you haven't read them already, well, why not? Yeah. Not quite. Are you listening to this? <laughs> And we we will have sounded. I, go away. Go to a library. <laughs> we, we will have sounded the spoiler horn in the introduction, so um, people are warned. Oh. <laughs> I forgot to do. Do you know what I forgot to do? Yeah. Here we go. Spoilers. Spoilers. Yeah. Um, but... Shall I t- shall I tell my coming to Terry story? Yes. Go for it. Yeah. Yes. We'll do all of us. Um. I was 10. <laughs> um, I was one of those kids that, like, I just read everything that anyone would put in front of me. I was an only child, so I read a lot. Um, and uh, my best friend's mom was a librarian, so she fed my reading habit quite amazingly, as librarians are want. Um, but my first Terry Pratchett, like so many people that came to Terry Pratchett, I feel like it comes to you as a... York Station, WH Smiths, bye. Um, we were going to London to see my grandparents. So me uh, on the in the summer holidays, and I went and picked up uh, carpet people from WH Smith in uh, the uh, yes. uh, yeah in the yes. in WH on uh, York York Station. Now carpet people at ten is an odd one, um, yeah. but I was a weird ten year old. I'd already read Sherlock Holmes like the original I, I was I'd read Shakespeare I was a very strange reader as a kid um so it kind of made sense that I would gravitate to something weird um like carpet people and I loved it instantly like I've just absolutely loved it I love the weird kind of like trying to figure out with my tiny little brain what everything meant and what it was and how it worked and then I found out that he obviously wrote other books and my friend's mum was like, you read Carpet People first as a librarian. She would do. <laughs> she was like, you're 10. Um, and so <laughs> and so I got truckers, diggers and wings sort of handed to me instantly um, from uh, Harrogate Grammar Library. Sorry, Harrogate Grammar students. I borrowed that one before you. Um, so I got <laughs> God bless her. Um, so I had those and... Um, I read that I read those so quickly and I'd run out then of the children's books that I could find. So I then went to uh, Harrogate Library and started working my way through. Um, and weirdly, the first of the Discworld books that I ever read was, um, uh, oh, God, my brain. 
uh, oh, what are they called? What's it called? Um, we don't know. It's, it's What's the it about? Third, it's the third um, book in the Witches series. So it is... Lords and Ladies. Thank you, Lords and Ladies. Yes, yeah, so the first book I read with Granny Weatherworks in it was Lords and Ladies. So obviously Lords and Ladies is great because it kind of gives you like a, at the beginning, it goes, you don't need to have read these books, but this is what's happened. Um, yeah. So that so that kind of got me into them. And then I worked my way through the disc world from that point. And as soon as anything came out, I spent my book vouchers that I asked for for Christmas on it. Uh, <laughs> borrowed every book in the library, borrowed all the books in Harrogate Grammar Library. Um <laughs> Got to secondary school, borrowed all the books in my school library and all the way through and yeah, just kept on buying them and like like you guys, it was like buy them on paperback and then buy them in hardback when you can afford it as you get older, um, and have a bit more money. And then yeah, and then replace my knackered paperback slowly with the nice collection as it's come out. I've been trying to replace them because they are falling to pieces. Cause I've been until the last year, actually, this year I haven't read them. It's been weird. This is the one year I haven't read them in. Um of all years, you'd have thought it'd be the one where I'd gone back to them, but I've more or less read them constantly on a loop for years. Um, so, yeah, this is oddly the year I haven't read them, which is strange. I'm going to have to, I think, do that Maybe now. because there's more time on your hands. You want something that will take you away. Yeah. More. And if you know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of distance. Maybe I'll, I should go back and start again. But I love them. I love them all. Like I, I think there's something in them for everyone as well. Yeah, like, I think that's right. And yeah. there is that, uh, and Absolutely. you just be, you kind of fall into that whole like ridiculous levels of Pratchett fandom. Like I drove from Durdle Door up to um, go to the the um, the Discworld bookshop, which was quite an entertaining little jaunt. <laughs> the other year yep. in 2017. So I just saw sort of, like the one in Wincanton. Yeah, yeah, I drove to Wincanton. In 2017. Yeah. In September? No, it was August. It was summer. I'd stayed in Del Dor and then I drove up to Wincanton and we went, went uh, on my way home. Oh, that's so funny. But yeah, I was just, we I was like, well, the... I'm not yeah. going to be down this end of the country again for a while, so <laughs> why not? Yes, yeah, so we went to the Pratchett um, exhibit at uh, Salisbury Museum. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I would love yeah. to have seen that. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. Dragged my poor wife to Wincanton. She has never read Harry Pratchett and isn't remotely interested. Oh no! <laughs> Did you see Bernard? I have to. I have to say, um, our wives have something in common there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. I. Yeah, they don't like comics and they don't like Harry Pratchett. Liz does at least read some comics sometimes. That's true. She does. Yeah. I'm struggling to get my head around that fact. No, no, mine not read. Jeez, they have the same name as well, just to add to the <laughs> things they have in common. Except if... Well, it makes life a bit easier, I suppose. No, but also, yeah. if you were to call my wife Liz, she'd slap you in the head. And the same in the opposite direction. Uh, I mean, to be fair, if you called my wife Lizzie, she'd slap you in the head as well. Um, I'm the only person who gets away with that. <laughs> I'm glad she's not listening to the recording. She never listens, it's fine. <laughs> Bless her. I was just, um, while you were saying that, Hat, I was just thinking, I think we're a group of weird readers here. Excellent. Because nothing that you said about reading those sort of books early seemed odd to me. Why do you think But I was going to a library from before I can remember as well, so. Yeah, I was one of those odd kids. But I just couldn't keep my face out of the book, though. I think that's that was the frustrating thing yeah. for people around me. You just couldn't stop me reading. And um, But isn't that... So my dad said to me quite one. nicely. 
My, my parents actually tested me once. They didn't believe I was reading the books that I was reading. So they actually said, okay, what does this, what happens on this page of this book? Wow. <laughs> and I told them. But you see, and this is the bit I really wish Lynn was here for, because um, Hat, I don't think I told you this when I made the introductions. Um, Lynn is a, well, was a school librarian, a proper one, not mm. not just somebody who sticks in the library, but an actual trained librarian who worked in a school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, much like my my best friend's mum was when exactly I was yeah. so. back in the nineties. And yeah, I, I would have liked. Were Lynn here, I would have asked her, can she spot the kids who are going to appreciate Pratchett? Because I reckon you probably could. I think certainly as a teacher. Yeah, I think so. As a teacher, there were kids that I put Pratchett books in front of. Because, I mean, I actually put Pratchett books in front of everybody when I was a teacher, but there were some kids that... (laughs) There are some kids that I thought, yeah, you you are going to get this. And yeah, I was pretty consistently right, I have to say. Well, I can pretty much answer for you there because Lynn and I discussed it a lot. And mm. she, I was the reason you ended up with 14 times in your library for a while. <laughs> you were, and that was appreciated, I have um, to say. Yeah. Expand, expand the horizon so kids can research thoroughly, properly and discredit information that's not valid absolutely easy anyway yeah she did she did target well she didn't target them she knew who to lead towards it Mm -hmm. but she also knew that um it wasn't by a look uh although that was a fairly big hint with teenagers they do tend to wear their tribes on on the outside and we sort of grow as we get older and become more Generic. generic i think sometimes well, nah. some people do. <laughs> then looking at myself and um, most of my friends, no, we don't actually, do we? No, we just Same become more the... ourselves. But she'd also recommend it to those that she thought their personalities showed that they might be interested in that. So, mm. you know, the kind of inwardly geeky girl who might be trying to conform with the popular crowd or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's It's not just – but, yeah, she did – I know she did – actively support any student reading and coming in to borrow any book and she deliberately tried to make as wide a type of and a diverse amount of literature available to them as well in magazines as well as as in books so I could definitely say she would have absolutely done that yeah yeah no I I have to say from a as as a teacher who works alongside her Lynn was the absolute acme of the perfect school librarian. She was brilliant at that. Uh, and I can say that because she's not here, so it's fine. And she's still involved in the um, Young Doncaster Book Awards. Mm. She's still very involved in that. At this point, I'm going to get just a little bit political because do you know what's important? What's important is that young people understand how to access the information that they need. And do you know how they learn that? They learn that from the school librarian. There's this idea that people have that librarians are people who find you a book. That's not what they do. Librarians are information hunters and they exist to show people how to find the information that they need. And wherever you're listening to this, I guarantee you, librarians, wherever you are, are being undervalued and you should Absolutely 
go out of your way to support them. And you absolutely should want to have librarians in your schools. This has been a political broadcast by me. Yeah, yeah which is... Uh... Interestingly, though, it didn't mean we could get either of my nibblings to read the damn books. Honestly, I gave my nibblings, Raylan Shay and Alyssa, I gave them all of the Tiffany Aiken books. Uh, I I gave them Johnny, the Johnny series. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. They didn't read any of them. They're not readers. We're identical twins. They are genetically from both of us, and they didn't read them. I'm so deeply embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I taught one of them, so it's so they're going to be drawn to them. If some people just aren't drawn to them, it's just the way it is. Fools. <laughs> I think they'll get there in the, in the end. It's just interesting that. I think they will, yeah. They're probably just rebelling a little bit against their mum <laughs> yeah. after she's such a huge advocate for literacy and reading and diversity and all that. Yeah, so. that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Anyway, Tina, you didn't give Would a Would you like to know about story. my introduction to Pratchett? Yeah. Sorry, that was a double talk. Yes, go for it. Where do you want to... Well, basically... My first Pratchett's were, again, when I was in sixth form, like you, Reggie. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember that little miniature book, book of four that you could get in a box? Yeah. That yes. was Mort and... First four. It was the first four books, yeah, but I in have, miniature. I have the miniature Mort on my bookshelf now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was given that as a present in, I don't know, early sixth form, I think. And I devoured them, obviously, within about an hour because they're tiny. And I just wanted to get the bigger books. So I read Mort first. And then I didn't really think that much more about it. Really enjoyed it. Didn't think that much more about it. And then when I turned, when I was in second year of sixth form, I think that's year, oh, God knows, I don't know what the modern people's years are. Year 13. Thank you. (laughs) I started doing battle reenactment. So I was dressing as an Anglo-Saxon and fighting with spears and broadswords of a weekend, doing reenactments all around the country, and we'd be rehearsing every Thursday. And Pratchett was the author of that group. Excellent. Everyone read Pratchett. Everyone knew Pratchett. Everyone's... So I just ended up reading bits here and there. I don't think I ever read it all the way through. And then, you know, off to university, have to read proper books <laughs> and that sort of thing, that attitude. Um, then I think I don't really don't really remember reading that many more until I met Simon. And that was 2004. And as you heard earlier, he is a huge, 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 huge fan of fan fan of Terry Pratchett. And he had all the books, so I didn't even have to go and buy them. <laughs> so I just started reading them all the way through. And I don't think that there weren't that. Only uh, about three to go. There was about three to go before the end, the end of the Discworld series yeah. that to be published. And I just kept reading through them. And I just loved the guy's writing, the way it developed. The first two books I don't think are that good, and even he admitted it himself. Oh, no, he's very more as trying to get money because he needed the money and this was a genre he thought he could do easily. 
And then all of a sudden he started taking it really seriously and knowing what he could do with it, with his prodigious intellect. I mean, the the things that man knew are just incredible. And he always seemed to be humane. Mm. And yes. the stories yeah. were not judgmental at all, although there is judgment in them. I'm thinking of um, the Night Watch books and things like that, or <laughs> whether whether a, a whether a woman can be a wizard or something like that. It does come to a conclusion on them. It makes a judgment, but it's not judgmental. Yes, and yes. I really love that about it, the humanity of it, and the fact that you can see yourself in all sorts of characters. Yeah, absolutely. And then you read outside with his science books, science fiction books, and we've read the Science of the Disc World as well, and we've got yeah. Nanny Og's cookbook, which I have actually cooked for. Um, for. I did I, I did Simon's 40th birthday party cakes from Nanny Og's cookbook because we had a Pratchett 40th birthday theme for him. Fantastic. Nice. And, um, well, we went, to, we went to the Discworld convention in 2006. Yeah. And I got food poisoning. Well done. <laughs> so, and um, but we—it was the one where they were showing clips of the first of, of Hogfather. Uh, Hogfather. Yeah. So we got free teeth from the Hogfather film. <laughs> uh, so that was really special. And Terry was there, and he was still able to talk, although you could see something was going. Mm. So we got to speak with him, and but. And then, then we got to nod at his alter ego, Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> he used to ra- wander around the conferences as his alter ego, Nigel. And if he had his Nigel name badge on, everyone knew, don't disturb him. He's just having fun. Brilliant. I love it. And no one did, which I think says it all. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I met him when I was, um, I think, 13 uh, at, at a signing. And he signed uh, Interesting Times for me and uh, also the... Um, it wasn't wit and wisdom. It was a, it was one of the you know behind the scenes of the Discworld ones. Oh yeah, a couple of books for me. And he uh, he put in your heart, you know, it's real in that one. And uh, he cursed me. May you live in interesting times, as he did with everybody with that book, I think. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate that curse, although it feels like it's really come true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, prescient bastard. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I only met him once. I can only imagine the books he'd be writing now. Oh, God. I mean, that's that's the ultimate thing, isn't it? That there should have been more books. Yeah. Because he clearly yeah. had I wasn't so finished learning what he had to tell us. Yeah, yeah. That was, although I, I do appreciate that he didn't want anyone to publish the unfinished stuff. I, mm. I, I understand. I agree with I mean, it, that decision. Yeah, I mean, I wish he hadn't made that decision, but I understand it. And I very much enjoy the flair with which that instruction was carried out. Yeah. <laughs> very um, oh, yes. And for the listeners who don't know, Stephen Briggs, he was his um, uh, assistant and secretary and writing, well, not writing partner, but the bloke. He adapted the books to plays. Yeah. Um, and very good friend. Um, after Terry yeah. Pratchett died, he'd left instructions that anything that wasn't finished should just be destroyed. And so 
in a very public way, uh, Stephen Briggs drove over Terry Pratchett's hard drive with a steamroller. Yeah. An actual little steamroller at a steam fair, which is exactly the, the right amount of flamboyant nonsense for. Yes. For, 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 for 100%. that. 100%. For that activity. So, you know, uh, that was, that, it was, it's one of those things. You kind of wish he did it dressed as veterinary. Well, yes. Although, no, no, he shouldn't have been veterinary. It, it, yeah. Rincewind, maybe. For the good of the people. <laughs> okay, it's so the people, the tyrant, that's, doesn't care. It's the good that's of the how we found Pratchett. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and I know because the last time I did a thing about Pratchett with uh, Tina and Lynn, we talked at some length about quite a lot of things. I know we could go on forever about this. Yes. Mm. Um, but it's my job to bring some focus. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Help! I, I can hear, uh, Steve isn't here, but I can hear Steve snickering in the background as I say that. Um, but Stay on target, Reggie. Stay on target. <laughs> uh, but we have all come equipped with a book that we would like to recommend. Um, if we were going to get people to read one Terry Pratchett novel, we brought mm-hmm. the books that we'd like. Now, I'm, I'm privileged because I know which books everybody's brought. And so, yes, I'm going to start on a high uh, with you, Tina, because you've brought Nation. Which is not a yes. dis- which is not a Discworld novel. Um, it is not. But I think it's the best thing that he ever wrote. I do too. And at the risk of descending to hyperbole, I actually think Nation is one of the best novels of its type that has ever been written. And it's a novel. I would go further than that. I uh-huh. think it's just one of the best novels that's ever been written. Yeah, I'll go with that. And I certainly yeah. think it's it's one of a very, very small number of novels that I think everybody should read. I it's firmly the, believe it should be on the national curriculum. I it's agree. It's the first novel I ever read that made me cry. I have never read anything. Before that point, no book had ever made me cry, and Nation did. Yes. It, it's just beautifully done, really beautifully yeah. done. Yeah. Oh, my job! My job's being done for me. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, you, this is clearly not going to be a tough sell, Tina. But tell us why Nathan it really isn't. Is, is so <coughs> brilliant. Well, the original intent, I think, for Nation was aimed at adolescence. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is a book just for adolescence. I think it's a book that should be read under the national curriculum, as I said, by adolescents. But I think it is a book that just should be read. Mm. It takes the point of view of two basically innocent characters Mm -hmm. from completely different cultural experiences. You couldn't get more opposite, really, in belief, in way of living, in how you conduct yourselves, in the relationships between family and friends, everything, even the physical locations they come from, city island nation which Mm. is nation and it's beautiful in-depth allegory for what happens when places are colonized it's what 
the British Empire did to so many different places. It's what every empire did to everywhere that they invaded and colonised. But it's told through a... Um, by the Yeah, it's told from the, the point of view of the colonised, not the coloniser. And it's told from the point of view of people raised and experienced in being an independent island nation and then colonised by this shipwreck. I'm not giving anything away here. <laughs> well, I'm trying not to. Oh, yeah, that's true. And, and then two people, two children coming together as friends from completely different cultures. But how there's still implicit biases and how the dominant incoming culture tries to convert that which is already there. It's what it's how damaging colonizing is on the long term for the future and mm -hmm. for the people who are colonizing as well it doesn't lose empathy for those that are coming over in the ship and doing all this it tries to explain how you can come to that yeah and frankly i think at the moment it is even more important to read nation it as while you're reading it you're building empathy and you're coming to understand connections and mm. how things can happen in such small increments, like how we can go from having a reality star voted president to an attempted coup in the Capitol building of what is deemed the most powerful nation on earth in five years. If you read Nation, you can kind of come to understand how that might happen under a fictional basis which gives you an easier way in if it was a history book people might uh, people tend to shut off i've seen it it's too horrible because these are real people so let's just do the facts and figures but with a fiction book you can really dig into the humanity. yeah the humanity of it thank you simon he's starting to interject now because he agrees with me <laughs> and we do tend to finish each other's sentences it's embarrassing but yeah, it's it's the sheer humanity of it and the beauty of it, and it's not hopeless, and that's so important. I think yeah, that there's always hope. We always have to cling on to hope, not faith because faith is blind, but hope because you can do things to make that hope become reality. Yeah, I think, and that's why I think it's such. I think that's an important message for adolescents, especially absolutely but for everyone. Yeah, really. But I think also what one of the things I loved about Nation was Mao, who is one of the two central characters. Yeah, he's at the start of the story. He has gone off to do the final ritual that will make him transition from being a boy to being a man. And he yeah. never gets to finish that. But he's still, in the end, you know, he's still, because of the cataclysm that happens to the nation, he yeah. is literally the last person standing. And so yeah. he has, he hasn't been given the authority for being a man, but he has to take it on anyway. And by man, I just mean adults here, really. 
Yes, um, yeah, yeah. He has to, he has Taking to... responsibility for what happens rather than having someone who can be responsible for you. That's yeah. basically the difference. He has to He has to, to say, okay, I, I can no longer be a child. I have to be an adult. I have to deal with this horrible thing that's happened. And then he has to figure out what to do next and how. And for me, the thing that really attaches me to, to Nation is that Mal at no point has any clue what he's doing. <laughs> he he doesn't get to have a plan. He has to just deal with the job in front of him. And because he hasn't completed all of his, his sort of coming of age ceremonies and stuff, he he hasn't been told all of the stories and all of the, the, the rules and all of the, the religious tenets by which his people lived by. He doesn't know everything. So he has to figure it out. And he applies logic. And yes, he won't just say, well, that's the will of the gods. That's OK, then. Because although he's trying to apply logic, he's still a kid who's lost everything. And if he has any belief in the gods, yeah. he's really angry with them in the way that a kid would be. And, and they work through that so beautifully. And, and, and yeah, it's that's and it's never it's never blaming the religion because it shows how religion at the start was a set of rules which actually suited the people who were living in circumstances where food rules laid down in religion are useful and say and help you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't learn. It, it never comes down on religion in that way. But and as you know, I'm an atheist, so I'm not religious. But it also shows you don't need to co- cover it with religion. It doesn't need to be coated with that mysticism. Mysticism. What mm. I find really interesting is that it's it's like a the whole thing because there's a whole set of rules in it about um, food preparation, right? And then isn't that to yes. do with preventing yes. and it's to do with preventing poisoning and that's yeah. based in reality like that's the thing that happened and colonizers yeah. went over there and went went to, to various parts of the world and went well we don't need to cook it that many times we don't need to soak it in water that long and then they got ill and they were like oh well, it's weird they're just doing these rituals that makes no sense their religion's stupid we're just gonna like vaguely boil it and eat it yeah and then and then they died and it's like actually maybe these people that you're colonizing have got a clue about what they're doing and maybe they have covered it in mysticism and ritual because they've passed it down for so many generations and that's how they keep it safe yeah that's like, how the oral tradition develops so you, yeah you absolutely have to tell a story. It's, yeah 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 so it's just it's easier love... to remember story than a list of facts and i think sorry i keep interrupting simon here sorry about that for me nation uh, as a historian is a remarkable story it's it's basically pointing out that there are sections, obviously it's not our Earth, but it is a, a mirror universe, another mirror universe for him. But it's it's telling a story which is basically um, this culture has been here for about three times as long as your little culture has even existed. <laughs> and you think you know everything. At the same time, it's telling the personal story of Mao and his trying to come to terms with his loss and his responsibilities 
and it's showing that history itself is simply a series of decisions. It's people doing the best they can with the information they have at that time and doing what they think is best for the most part. Admittedly, history on the larger scale is more talking about making decisions for hundreds or thousands or possibly millions of people, which kind of tips the scales a bit. But that is essentially what it's all about. It's how history is built by noticing just some of those um, decisions. Not all of them. His decision to um, tear apart the ship was, again, through necessity. the 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 way to to get the milk for the baby was through necessity, but it it will become <coughs> a grand thing in their history because mm. it's something outside of their experience, mm. and that's that makes it notable. Yeah, and that's how history is repeated it, it, or reported is those decisions that are world changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are, there are a couple of powerful moments in Nation for me. There's the moment at the start. I cried Daphne, at it as well, Pat. Yeah. The, there's, the moment, then. there's the moment at the start where Daphne attempts to shoot Mel and the powder's wet, yeah. so it just sparks. And Mel thinks she's giving him a thing to make fire with. Yeah. Which is such it's a beautiful. wonderful misunderstanding. And you can understand her reaction and his reaction. Absolutely, yeah. You can, no you one's can, being blamed for anything. Yeah, you can understand why Daphne oh. is afraid of Mel. Absolutely. And it's, 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 of course, of course she tries to shoot him. Of course she does. But of course Mel doesn't see that as an act of aggression. And then you have the moment later on when Mel finds out what guns can do. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. he remembers. And his reaction to that, I think, is because a, a lesser writer than Pratchett would have had that be a great moment in the plot where suddenly Mal comes to not trust Daphne and yeah, there, yeah be great yeah. recrimination about the fact yeah, that yeah. he tried to shoot him dead. And that's not how Mal reacts. He has empathy. Yeah, he understands what she tried to do. But if anything, he's more embarrassed about his misunderstanding that he thought she was giving him a thing to make fire with than he is angry that she tried to shoot him. Because at that point, he knows Daphne. And so he he understands. And there's the... He knows why she did it and knows that she wouldn't now. Yeah. Yeah. And that she nah. wouldn't have then if she'd known what she knew now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. And then there's Daphne in the, the the wreckage of the ship, sending Mal a gold-edged invitation to tea and trying <laughs> to make stones out of the flour that had dead lobsters in it. Because it's all she knows. Yes. That's all she's been taught. And Mal, and Mal trying to figure out what on earth is going on? And she she draws the pictures on the back of the invitation of him with his spear and then the ship and stuff. And he thinks that he reads the pictures 
and he thinks that she wants him to throw his spear at the ship. <laughs> and it's and what I loved about that is that none of that is presented in a way that says, "Well, these people are really stupid." It's no, it's no, it's yeah. not at all. It's they're, they're highly intelligent, both of them. Yeah, and that comes through. She's so curious. She's such a strong character. She's restricted, but only by what she's been taught. Mm. And she's so open to things. And so's he. And it's because they're so young. That's why it works well with that age, I think. As adults, I'm not sure we're still as open. And I really wish we were. Mm. I say we. I know we all are because we're fabulous. But (laughs) you know what I mean? As a society, we seem not to be as open to others and not judgmental. Yeah, it's... I'm getting lost in thoughts of it again now. The nation will do that to you. It will. Yeah. It will. Oh, we went to see it when they did um, the play. Oh, wow. They did at the National Theatre. They did a three hour wow. production and it was stunning. But you could see how problematic it would be to put on a stage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's so much in it. There is so much in it. There's, what do you cut out? Because all of the text is important to know who these characters are and what the story is what the history is and what the social aspects are. and Yeah, no, there's nothing need, wasted in it. Even why the grandfather birds are so important. Yes, the grandfather birds. You need to know that. Yeah. And you can't. it can't be translated to the stage, unfortunately. Yeah. It could be done on film. Yeah, not on stage. Even then it would stage. be hard. Mm, it would, but you could, get, you could, if you could include the, 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 uh, <gasps> um, Taika Watiti could do it. Yeah. But no, if you could include the, 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 the grandfather birds as they are meant to be, then it would make more sense. You've got food. Can you hear the cat? <laughs> I was going to say, does your cat need feeding? <laughs> Five times a day. She's 2.2 kilos of mighty oh Bengal. God, <laughs> She's tiny. She's literally just eating. I think you're going to have to go and feed her or she's, this is going to be happening. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe we should try and do another book. We've been 20 minutes on Nation. Uh, we could talk more about Nation. There's, there's, there's the point when Daphne's dad turns up with the flag and how indignant she is. Oh, wow, yes. That bit. Yeah. More of that, please. Yeah. I think. Definitely more of that. Everybody I've ever recommended it to has really, really loved it. And it, I feel like it's the one that I could maybe get Liz to read. And I have suggested to her that she does. I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think that, that is another it's, one. It's, it's a good one that you could get people who aren't into Pratchett to, to get it, not as a gateway book, because it's, it's it would not be part though. of a series. Yeah, but I think it's a really good way of people of getting yes. people to recognise that it's not just Discworld that he does and it's not just silly funny because I think a lot of people go oh it's just that silly fantasy it's just that silly funny fantasy as opposed to like high fantasy Tolkien type thing mm-hmm. and they yeah. don't understand the depths of the political commentary the social commentary the humanity that is available to him because he built that environment in which to 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 write you know he lulled people into that wonderful false sense of security with silly mock high fantasy and then went no here's a dose of reality in a yeah. lovely sugar coating enjoy yes and bam yeah i think nation does that so beautifully it really does give that whole you know this is something we need to be reckoning with mm. um 
This is something it's like we taking need to be considering. The stand in fantasy and tearing them down and showing them who they really are yeah like uh, 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 the white male savior come in reacting to the flag but yeah. then re- you realize he's worried about his about the child about his daughter and and there's all these different levels to it and again it's all he's ever known mm-hmm. and the ignorance of adults doesn't mean the children have to carry that through absolutely yeah. and i think I'd- that's why it's empowering children i think it's empowering i'd say 10 and above for that 10 being weird readers like us. <laughs> I think I think the thing that ultimately makes Nation such a great book, and I mean great as in a great book, not just it's great, is, yeah, yeah. is the way that it ends. Because the resolution to being confronted as a small island nation by the representatives of, of a great and mighty empire that could, if it chose, utterly obliterate them. And Mao understands mm. this, is not to say, okay, we'll join. And it's not to say, we'll fight and we'll die. It's to say, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not going to be part of your empire, but can we join the Royal Society, please? And <laughs> to say, look, this this island used to be the heart of a scientific civilization. We'd like to be that again. And then we 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 flash forward into the future and there's an old man in an observatory with an actual real telescope showing two kids the view of Jupiter in daylight, which I have to echo Terry Pratchett here slightly. If you have an opportunity ever to look through a telescope at Jupiter during the day, or Saturn for that matter, do it. It's amazing. Also, please don't try this at home because daylight astronomy, <laughs> because daylight astronomy is very dangerous. If you point your telescope at the sun, you will go blind. Yeah, but, not great. But if you are a grown-up who cannot sue me because it'll be your own damn fault if you do it, if you have a chance, and there are apps on your phone that will tell you where Jupiter is, if you have a chance to look I have at- two. There you go. <laughs> if you have a chance to look at Jupiter in a clear blue sky, and I got this from Terry Pratchett, I got this from Nation. It's the most astonishing thing I have ever seen in my life because you point your telescope at what appears to be a blank bit of sky, and then there's this great big bloody planet that you can't <laughs> see without the telescope, and it's mind-blowing. And that's the mind-blowingness of Nation. It's, yeah. it's about how Science and religion and logic and faith and stories can intersect perfectly happily if you just let them and you don't. You need to give them a chance. Yeah. And you you don't try and force things to fit. They'll just work Mm. because. It's a beautiful ending. It's it's, It's a hopeful ending and it's the right ending. And I wish we did that now. It's what we need to do. Yes, which is why I agree that everybody should read it in school. And, no arguments here. And everybody who didn't read it in school should just bloody well go and read it. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It is a big book. It is a very big book that might be off-putting to some people, but it doesn't seem like it when you're reading it. No, it really I, doesn't. It's not that big. I mean, I've, I've got the hardback in my hand here, and the hardback's a fairly chunky thing. But the paperback version is not that intimidating. It's not in this room, unfortunately. It's in my... It's in my 
it's in the bedroom, not the office, because uh, the terror practice that I read are uh, not in the office. I had to dig out uh, mine for today from a, uh, behind a load of stuff, actually, because we've been reorganising. Yeah. Well, since sounds like done... my kind of bookshelf. Since you've done that, <laughs> you should see the to read pile. Since you've done that, hat, why don't we segue neatly into you telling us about your choice? Okay, we will leave that there. We are coming up to the hour mark, and as we transit into hat's selection, it's as good a place as any to knock it on the head for this week. What will hat be selecting from the dozens of Terry Pratchett novels? Which one has she selected? Well, Tune in next week to find out. Now, a very quick non-apology, because I'm not sorry for interrupting you earlier with a little rant about school librarians. In fact, I'm going to build on it a little bit. I know your child's school is closed right now if you have children at school, but if your school has a school librarian, I want you to let your school know how valuable you think that school librarian is and how much you value the investment that your school is making in your child's literacy by paying for a proper school librarian. I cannot stress enough how important these people are and how good the work they do is and how great the benefits of that work can be to a child's literacy and to a child's outlook and to a child's engagement with books. It's it's invaluable. I've worked with a couple of astonishingly good school librarians um, back in my teaching days and I know the difference that they make. And I can't stress highly enough, having a member of staff to run the library is not the same as having a school librarian. School librarians are very highly trained people and that makes them expensive and that's why there aren't many left. Because when a school is looking at its budget and it's looking at not being able to fund various things that is required by law to do because it hasn't got any money, because let's not get started. One of the members of staff, they they, they look at staff because staff is the most expensive part of any bill for any organization. And they look at the members of staff they can't afford to lose. Like they can't afford to lose the people who teach English, maths, science. They can't afford to lose the, the cleaning staff. They can't afford to lose the admin staff who make sure that all the administration, which is great, gets, gets done. And they look around and they think, do we need a school librarian? And often the answer they come to is, well, yeah, we probably do. But of all the people we could possibly get rid of, this is the one that has the least impact. And I've seen that happen many, many times. And every time it does happen, it's a, it's just an incalculable loss for that school. Now, I'm not here to tell hedges and senior leadership teams in schools how to spend their money. I understand they've got a problem, but mm, it's so important. So, so important. But enough of the preachy. Um, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Join us next week to find out what Hat's choice of book was uh, and to revel in more of the glory that is Terry Pratchett. And until then, be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay geeky. We'll see you back here at the gates very soon. Thank you for listening to the Geeks at the Gate podcast. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geeks at the gate. Or contact us on Twitter at geeks at the gates. 
or contact us by email on mail4geeksatthegates at gmail.com. That is the number four, not the word. Geeks at the Gates is a production of Venus Rising Media and is proudly made in Yorkshire.